Statistics indicate that church attendance in America is declining. Why do people go to church? Why have some people stopped going to church? Is church a requirement for Christians? If the Bible is authoritative, as we have asserted in previous podcasts, what does it have to say about church? Today, we'll attempt to answer these questions and others on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Good day, Aaron. Hey, Chuck. How are you? How are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Aaron, before we get too deep into this, how do the questions of what church is and why church is important fit into the context of our previous discussions? Yeah, so we, uh, the past few times we talked about the story of the Bible and what that story is. And when you get into the story of the Bible, what you realize uh, pretty soon is that it's talking about uh, the whole world, all people, humanity. That, that's the target audience for the story of the Bible, uh, not individuals. Um, we uh, I mentioned this too uh, several episodes ago. We are prisoners of an individualist mindset here in the West post-Enlightenment. And so we tend to think of things as consumers. We tend to think of things, uh, it's for me individually. And unfortunately, uh, even Christianity has become somewhat like this. A big emphasis when I was growing up in uh, in Christian circles was uh, Jesus died to save me from going to hell. Almost uh, he was doing uh, me individually um, a favor. And of course, uh, I do believe that uh, the Bible teaches that the individual is benefited by Christianity, but really what God is doing in the Bible is uh, creating a people. The story of the Bible is about a renewed, redeemed people that Jesus is recreating around himself. So th- this makes Christian community and church extremely important in that story. So if I were to say, well, yeah, obviously, community. All churches have community, don't they? Do they? Um, that's a good question. So th- there's two levels to that. One is the reality of the body of Christ. Christ saves groups of people. Christ is saving people to create community. Whether people realize that or live in it, it's it's there. The body of Christ, the Christian church, exists. However, some people. Even church members choose not to act that out. You can be a member of a church and even you know show up at church quite frequently, but not be a part of that community, not be a part of that renewed people that God is. See, and again, there we've gotten to the. Um, you know, I've just kind of sort of contradicted myself. You, you, whether Christians realize it or not, they are a part of the community, but they don't live it out. They don't act like they are. They. You know they're they're more Western individualists than they are uh, community people centered around Jesus. So I go to the local uh, big discount store every once in a while to get groceries or light bulbs or whatever it is that I need, and I guess I'm a part of that discount store community. There are lots of people in there, but I don't know hardly any of them. Right. The few that I may have an acquaintance with, I wouldn't say are part of my inner circle. Are you afraid that church is more like that these days than the community that you're talking about? Yeah, it it, it totally can be. Um, 
I should say real quick here that when we talk about, uh, we haven't really started talking about what it means to be Christian community, the language that the Bible uses is, I think I mentioned, a body of Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 uses uh, the image of a human body working, you know, and everything. Picture a runner or a jogger or somebody swinging a golf club or just somebody walking down the street and how all of their body parts work in sync to make that golf swing or to jog. And Paul says that Christians are like that. They are not individuals acting on their own, but they're a part of a body. And that's this is what the Bible teaches, that Christians are becoming. Now, is it possible for it to be more like a Costco membership than um, an actual body? Yeah, and sometimes we Christians get confused because we treat church, the community, as a Costco membership. I was talking to you know, a friend of mine just recently, and she said, um, she, she was referring to something I had said in a sermon about community, and she said, well, this uh, social group that she belongs to, we have a really, really great community there. You know, and I, what I wanted to say was, uh, that's good, that's good to have, you know, good friends, it's good to like, you know, be a member of a club or to have good neighbors or, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about Christian community. And in fact, if I can just uh, real quickly here, you know, the Bible, St. Paul in particular, presupposes that there are alternate communities. Not that They're not bad, but if we start to think that the church is just another one of these alternate communities, then we're not really understanding what the church is. So for instance, uh, Paul in Galatians 3 says there's no Jew nor Greek, there's no male nor female. There's no slave nor free, and he's imagining. You know, you know, we identify we we identify with the groups that we belong to. Ethnicity could be one of them. Gender could be one of them. Socioeconomic status could be one of them. But that's actually a bad way to. That it's not bad. I mean, you, you know, I'm a guy. I hang out with other guys. Paul's not saying you know there's no such thing as gender. But what he is saying is that your ultimate community, Aaron, is this new body of Christ. You are all one. He finishes up that uh, sentence in Galatians 3.28 by saying, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So that's our ultimate community. And so the question is, where do you get your, where are you getting your community from? Are you getting your community from, from, from social groups? And the problem with those is that they're not, they're not perfect, right? They don't, they don't actually, one of the problems with them in their, in their imperfection is that we're bound to those on, we're bound to those people on uh, uh, a common interest. You know, I play golf with my golf friends because we all like golf. Uh, you know, I listen to jazz with my jazz friends because we all like jazz. Uh, you know, I'm a, a um, go to the history museum and hang out with the people there at the Glen Carbon History Museum because I like history. And what the Christian community is doing is is saying that you no know, God is not here to save your particular interest group or your particular ethnicity or your particular gender or your particular socioeconomic status. What he's here to do is to save all of humanity. And if that's the case, my ultimate community needs to be with people who are like me, perhaps, yes, but also radically dislike me and to find our commonness in Jesus. So ideally, the Christian church is going to be old people, young people, men, women, different ethnicities, different levels of income, different interests, 
and um, that this is the goal. This is what Jesus is doing: is creating this group around him. What makes the Christian congregation different from all these other activity type groups that you were talking about? Well, yeah. So I guess you're bringing me back to your original question, which I probably was skirting around, but not really getting to. Unfortunately. Not much sometimes. If you go to a lot of Christian churches, and this is maybe why some people are turned off by it, is because it smells like a special interest group. If you go to a particular Christian church, the people there, they're all coming from the same sort of background, with the same sort of interest. Churches typically are unified in their ethnicity. They're unified in their, you know, their social status, their economic status. They're typically unified in their political predilections, and um, what churches should be, be places where the main center of the identity is Jesus, not, and it's so hard to do. I mean, I'm, so I'm obviously a member of a Christian church. I get paid to be a member of a Christian church as a pastor. The easiest thing in the world to do is to be completely comfortable with the people who are like me and agree with me and have the same sort of background. So we're all speaking the same cultural language. One reason why community is so important in the Christian church is to force us out of those Costco-type relationships as fundamental identity markers. You know, you should shop at Costco. You know, you know, be friends with who you're friends with. But fundamentally, what binds me to the rest of humanity is Jesus Christ. Not that, well, I have the same skin color as that, because I don't have the same skin color. And so I'm going to end up pushing those people away. Just as an example, it could be anything, right? And Christian churches will do this. And, and um, um, for those who are listening to this who are Christians and are church people, you'll know that we build our identity. We turn, we turn our church into a Costco by saying, you know, we're, we have this style of music at our church. Or uh, the sanctuary has to look a certain way. Or we have these programs and we don't have these other programs. And uh, we, all have, we all share these common interests. And what Jesus is doing is creating a community of wildly divergent subsidiary interest. <laughs> you see this with his disciples, right? So Jesus, he calls 12 disciples, and this is people of, some of you have heard this before. One of the things Jesus does is he puts two people on his leadership team who have radically different political views of the Roman Empire. Uh, Matthew a tax collector who is a sellout. He's basically traded in his Jewishness to make money working for the Roman Empire. And then you have Peter, who uh, it, it looks like in the text that Peter is a zealot, which is a political party, which is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum from Matthew. The zealots are the cloak and dagger guys in the first in first century Judea. They're the guys who are trying to foment revolution and assassinating uh, um uh, Roman officials when they visit and trying to stir up riots. And Jesus takes both these guys, and he does not ever say to either one of them, stop being a tax collector. Stop being concerned with the freedom of Judea. But instead, he says, from now on, you guys are going to abandon, like he says to the fishermen, you're going to abandon your previous lives and identities, and you're going to follow me, and I'm going to recreate you as too crazily divergent, but now unified in me people. And that's what that's what Christian community forces us to do. So then are you saying that there's no place for, I'm going to use the term, individualism in Christian community? 
That's great. I was just reading this book by David Coises called Political Illusions, and um, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, and now I can't remember the complete title. But he draws a distinction between individualism and individuality, which is probably splitting hairs with words, but it actually is helpful to think individuality is treasured by God. This is part of the what makes the body of Christ so special is that not everybody is a knee. This is part of what you, so at the you know at the um, in the new creation in Revelation you get this vision of every trunk, every tongue and tribe and people and nation gathered around the throne of Jesus worshiping him, and they're not all subsumed into some sort of like monolithic ethnicity on the last day. They retain who they are. They retain their tongues and individuality treasured by God as a precious part of the diversity of the body. You know, there's toes and there's fingers. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, not everybody can be an ear, else the body would be one huge ear. And so individuality is precious and valued by God. Individualism, which David Coivis takes takes to mean the belief that the individual is the highest value, that's absolutely denied by God. The highest value is Jesus Christ and this new renewed people that he's creating around himself. And so, yeah, that's, I, that, that helps me think about, you know, individuality. We're not talking about some sort of like um, giving up your likes or your dislikes or the gifts that you have or the background that you have or your gender or your ethnicity or even the socioeconomic status that you have, but letting all those, all those things take second place to the fundamental identity of I am a Jesus follower and I am connected. I have more in common with the, with another Jesus follower who's completely different than me than I do with a non-Jesus follower with whom I share 15 things in common with. I think that's Jesus's goal here. So for the person who listens to us who's, who is thinking, well, you know, yeah, I'm a member of a church. I'm there every second, maybe third week. I go to see the pastor in our family if we need a wedding or a funeral or a baptism. Um, we expect him to teach our children things about confirmation. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And when I hear you talking about community or having relationships with other people in the congregation beyond just those individual things that I need, that's almost foreign to me. Right. I wouldn't even know where to start. And as I think about starting, it's pretty intimidating. It is intimidating. What would you say to me? Yeah, so um, it is intimidating because it's an idol, the the idol of individualism that we've been talking about. That's an idol that's so deeply embedded in us that I and my needs and, and my concerns are the highest priority. Um, that's so it's going to be difficult. But if you're asking yourself that question, I th- I'm going to guess that you're starting to crave this, and it's probably a pretty easy guess because. Everybody in our postmodern culture, we hate the thought of community and having to be responsible and accountable and sit under. Hate's a strong word. Hate is. I actually mean that, and maybe not even. Maybe it's it's even more deep seated than the emotion. It's repulsive to us that we would be connected to other people to whom we had accountabilities and responsibilities. We don't like being tied down like that. So. That's you know you're you're fighting against that idol, but also starting to crave this relate. We all want relationship. We want sense of purpose and meaning. Um, I think I mentioned this uh, several times ago that if you pull 
18 to 25-year-olds in our culture, the two, if you pull them and ask them, what is your primarily primary emotional response to reality, to your reality? By far, the two answers you'll get is lonely and bored. Because we're all prisoners of our own individualism, but we all crave, we all crave community. We all want to be known and we want to know others. Now, what I want to do here is just say, you need to go for it because I'm telling you, it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's life-changing to be involved intimately in the lives of other people who completely accept you and care about you is freeing. It's absolutely freeing. I, so I, what I want to do is hold up before everyone who's questioning whether or not I should be involved in Christian community, that there is a community of people uh, gathered around Jesus who freely accept and don't judge and want to be a part of your life and want to accept you and want to know you. And that's what's on offer. That's what's on offer. And the, the trade-off, of course, is that the idol of individualism is going to have to be burnt. You're going to have to give that up, but the, what, what you get back in return is so much greater than what you're losing. Some people seem to have the ability, I might even say, God's gift of being extrovertive, being yeah. comfortable in a room full of strangers. Uh, they move easily among those people. Then there are other people who are introverted yeah. and struggle in that situation. And maybe for that reason, they think I don't want my I don't want to be in a congregation where everybody knows me and I know them, right, and you right. know, we're all close and sharing everything. That's that's not who I am. Right, I'm not like that. What do you say to that person? Oh, so um, introverts. Yes, I, I, I'm an, I, I am a deep, deep introvert. On the Myers Briggs scale, I'm as far over on the introvert side as you can possibly get. Um. That's one of the things that I struggle with is, is um, do I let people into my life? And the extent to which I struggle with letting people into my life, I think, has less to do with my introversion and more to do with my individualism. The introversion is, um, the classic definition of extrovert and introvert is an extrovert is a person who is energized by being around other people. An introvert is a person who takes being around other people takes energy from them. And that's me. I, I I'm I'm a friendly guy, I think. I can talk. If 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 I can get to the spot where I can say, okay, Aaron, your individualism is rearing its head. You need to let go of yourself and your own pride and you need to go be involved in other people's lives. I can do that. Now it wears me out. It tires me out when I if I have a um, a community event or social event or even go to a, going to a work party with my wife. I'll be just worn out absolutely afterwards. That's something different, though, than, than the body of Christ and being called into this community and sharing your life with other people. Not everybody in the body of Christ is a mouth. You know, some people are hips and they're covered up. And what they do is less noticeable and quiet, but they're still an incredibly valuable part that the mouth can't do without. The rest of the body can't do without. And so, for those who, of us who are introverts, what I'm not talking about is, you know, uh, you know, reading, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people and, you know, studying, you know, how to make friends and influence people and learning a, a, a good catalog of jokes that you can use at parties. 
What I'm talking about is just getting intimately involved with other people's lives. And so, for, so for instance, for extroverts, it's easier to be involved. I'm talking about inside the church now, but I guess this works for even Costco type groups. For extroverts, being involved with a larger number of people is easier because it energizes them. When you find introverts in Christian community, frequently you will find them deeply embedded in the life of maybe just two or three people, maybe even just one other person. That's just as valuable as the person who's kind of noticeable, the life of the party kind of person. So if you struggle with introversion, uh, struggle's the wrong word because I'm an introvert and I'm uh, uh, very, very proud of it. If, you, if that's your thing, the, the community is still for you. It's still a vital part of what God's called you to be. So let's say, hypothetically, that someone who is listening to us decides one way or another to, to attempt to break through their isolation, however isolated they are, and reach out and let some people into their lives. Yeah and get into some other people's lives and experience what we call community. Do you know people who have done that? Do you know people who have, uh, I guess I would say, successfully made the attempt and gotten to that point? I see it all the time. I see it all the time at my church. Uh, People from the outside coming in and craving this and finding themselves in a relatively short amount of time. It's not weird. It's not that, at least at my church, you don't walk in and there's not strangers hugging you and, you know, asking you what your mom's middle name is and things like that. But over the course of an appropriate amount of time, I've seen people, especially the people who they aren't just showing up on Sunday mornings for worship, but they're also involved in a, a home Bible study or a community group. Those people will make fast, intimate friends extremely quickly. They'll, they'll, they'll soon, sooner than you would think, but not sooner than is comfortable, find themselves sharing life with people who a year, a year earlier they would think, I don't know how I live without this group of people. I've seen it happen, and I've seen people. This is, it's not just that you're making good friends, but people are learning new dimensions of who God is and new aspects of what Jesus is up to in the world that they could never have experienced outside of these deep, intimate Christian friendships in a community. So for people who are listening to us who are intrigued by what you're saying and are willing to experiment, I'll use that word. Yeah, it's bad. That's a good word. With community, do you think that if more of us who were willing to do that and experience the success of it, that church would have more people in it and that church would have, would be tend to be growing as opposed to in America anyway, currently in decline. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, this is the, this is what, this is what people are craving. You know, people, here's the thing is like, okay, so sermons, you know, I preached a sermon and you know, I hope it's good. You know, honestly, you can read a book that makes more sense than my sermons. Uh, you can listen to better pastors than me preach online. Uh, the podcast with terrific sermons. You really don't. You really don't need to go to church to get what we think of as church stuff. Christian music. You can find way better Christian music, you know, on a radio station than you can find in most Christian churches. But so what people. What people are drawn to, though, in a Christian church is this community, this sense that me 
and my brothers and sisters who completely accept each other. We are completely open and transparent about our brokenness and our need of forgiveness. Nobody's the cool guy here. Nobody's the guy who's got it all down pat here. We gather around together God's word in the Bible and in the and in Holy Communion. We gather around that together as a family. That's what people are craving, the sense of belonging to something that's important, of belonging to people who care for them more than they care for themselves. That's what, and if, if churches, so if you're talking to your experimenter here, you're, you, my dear friend, are going to try some churches and you're going to walk in and it's going to be like Costco. You're going to, sh- you know, you're going to sit it down in and you're going to, sh- you're going to hear a sermon and you're going to hear some music and you're going to look around and uh, see, see the inside of a church. And then you're going to walk out and you're going to think, okay, well, was the sermon good or not? I don't know. I probably could find a better sermon online. But, but when you walk into a church, where people embrace you. And again, if it's a good church, like my church is, it won't be something weird. But you'll sense right away that I'm accepted here and that people, they're not going to pretend like they know me right now, but they want to get to know me. You found yourself something golden. And then sermons have deep meaning because they're happening in relationship, both with the person who's preaching the sermon and with your brothers and sisters who are listening to it and then the conversations that spring up about it afterwards, and then the life that starts developing. Communion isn't just this, oh, I go forward here and get some bread and wine. It becomes a family meal that bonds us together. It becomes, some, it becomes a deeply shared experience between us as a community of Jesus. And when I say that, I mean as a community in Jesus is probably the better way to say that. It's not just about our relationship with each other, but our relationship as the body of Christ, our connection to Jesus. If you found something like that, and I would encourage you to be restless until you do, you will find something that's tapped into the deep heart of God. So you just brought Jesus into the equation, and I guess— Should have brought him in earlier, I I guess. Well, uh, he's in now. Yeah. Um, Either way. Uh, I guess I've been thinking as we've been talking horizontally, I've been thinking about all the people that are in the congregation, people that I see that I know, the people that I don't know. Um, Put Jesus in the community now. How does, how does, where does he fit? How does that work? Yeah. So he is, uh, he is the image of God. Jesus is the one true human. And if our humanity is going to be repaired, not just as individuals, but as as a human race, it's going to have to be in the one true human. And so Jesus pulls his people around him. And some of you are experiencing this right now. You're experiencing this draw. And I would say, like, if you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know, I wish I was, I probably ought to be involved in church more, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Like I'm just telling you right now that, that that's not me talking. It's not Chuck talking. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you trying to pull you up into the one true human Jesus and experience what I'm talking about. Now, so what does Jesus have to do with this? First of all, it's in him that we are repaired as a human race. It's in him that I'm bound to my brothers and sisters so that my weaknesses are swallowed up by their strengths, much like the hip. The hip can't walk into a restaurant and order food. It needs the mouth to do it. But the mouth can't order the food unless the hip helps carry the mouth into the restaurant to order the food. And what happens in Christian community, so if, if, if Jesus is not a part of this equation, then what I'm talking about is just basically a fancy version of the Costco relationship we were talking about earlier, which is just a common interest group. And what's going to inevitably happen is that I'm going to hang out with all the people who are just like me. 
And then we're just going to be who I am. There's not going to be any sort of greater ultimate transcendent reality that we're connecting with. However, if Jesus is the author of Christian community, as he is in the Christian church, what's going to happen is that these people are going to be pulled into my life who aren't like me. It might be kind of awkward a little bit at first to be friends with people who aren't like me. But what's going to happen is, is I'm going to start meeting some mouths and I'm going to be able to go into some restaurants that I couldn't go into before and order some food because all of a sudden I'm a part of this great living, breathing organism, the body of Christ, which is accomplishing something powerful and transcendent, bigger than just my interest, bigger than just my hobbies or bigger than just my ethnicity, but something big and huge that God is accomplishing. Here's a provocative word, and I think you used it, the word intimate. Yeah. So Jesus is the groom, Mm -hmm. and the Bible describes his people, his church, as his bride. Yeah. I think we would all agree that there is no more intimate relationship other than that between bride and groom or husband and wife. Right, yeah. And I think most of us can get comfortable with that notion with Jesus. Are you suggesting that there should be some kind of intimacy among the people in the bride, among the members of the congregation that approaches the same level as the intimacy between Jesus and his church? Yeah. So in Ephesians 5, when Paul's talking about the Christian church, who Jesus gave himself up for, he pulls in that marriage language from Genesis chapter 2. He actually says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. I'm speaking about Christ's church, Paul says. Yeah, so this is a huge question here, and maybe we should talk about this later on, but let me just give you a short version of it. God created humans to look like him. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 makes this clear, that humans are created in the image of God. Now, typically, we individualist Western Christians, like I don't want to be, but, I, but I'm fighting against all the time, we think of that as, oh yeah, me personally. I'm made in the image of God, me as an individual. But actually, in Genesis 1, 26, God says, let us make man in our image, plural, our image, Reflecting the fact that God himself is plural, that God himself ultimately is relationship. Before that, I was having this conversation with a Christian friend of mine, he calls himself a Christian, but he has questions about the Trinity. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago at my daughter's uh, birthday party, I was having a conversation with him and he said, um, he was talking about the Trinity and he has a hard time believing in it. and, um, And I said to him, I said, if God is love, but by the way, this wasn't like some mind-blowing question that opened his eyes. It's part of a conversation. I hardly ever have those moments where I say something so witty, it transforms somebody's thinking. Uh, but I said, if God is, my question was, if God is love, if that's his ultimate reality, then did he have to learn love by making people? If he had nobody to love, then he, it, was, it was a learned behavior, right? He created humans, and then he discovered, maybe to his surprise, maybe he already knew because he's God. Oh, wow, this is what love is like. But no, if John, 1 John, insists that God, his nature is love, then there must have been something or someone that he loved for his whole existence. And what Christians insist is that that's the Trinity. And now, when God made us humans, he made us in our image, he says, I'm quoting him, in his image, not his singular, but his plural, the three of them, and Male and female, he made them. God didn't make his image one person. He made two people, male and female. 
And what that means is that all human relationships, and of course the central one in the, in the Bible is marriage, but you have children relationship, you have friend relationship, especially when you get to the New Testament and Paul, especially when you think about the disciples and Jesus, you have these human relationships, all of them manifesting, designed to manifest what God created us to be like, which was himself relationship. And this is why I said a few minutes ago that, that some of you are craving relationship. The reason why is not because you're just, you know, you're just so, you know, dependent and codependent that you just, you just have to have other humans. It's actually because you were made for this. The reason why if you're single, you want to be married. And I, I realize that not everybody who's single wants to be married is because you were made for relationship. The reason why if your parents and you don't have children, you want children is because you were made for relationship. The reason why if you don't have friends, but you want friends is because you were designed for this. God created you to look like him. And when you have deep, intimate friendships centered around Jesus Christ and his word, you are actually looking like God. You are being what God created you to be. All right, you've got me. Can we talk next time on our next podcast about how we make that move? We may be talking to somebody who has been in church for a long time, has either never heard this concept before or has made a couple of runs at it and didn't get anywhere. Or been in church and got hurt. Yeah, that too. Can we talk about that next time? All right, let's do that next time. We want to thank you for listening to our Craving Answers, Craving God podcast with Pastor Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. If you have a topic or a question for Pastor Miller, please go to our website at stjamesglencarbon.org and click Contact Us. You'll be able to leave a message there. And we thank you for listening.